Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+. My name is Douglas Parsons. Michael Bach is my guest today. Michael Bach is nationally and internationally recognized as a thought leader and subject matter expert in the fields of IDEA, I-D-E-A, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. Now, this acronym is important because we do talk a lot at the workplace about diversity and inclusion, yet equity as well as accessibility is not talked about as much. Michael brings this perspective to us in this conversation today. It's extremely important. With his vast knowledge of leading practices at the worksite, he brings us so much, especially to this conversation. He is the founder of the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion, CCDI. Now, I first noticed Michael based on his first book. His first book is called Birds of All Feathers, Doing Diversity and Inclusion Right. In that book, Michael argues that creating diverse, inclusive workplaces is not just the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do. Others have noticed this as well because the book Birds of All Feathers is a Globe and Mail, Toronto Star and Amazon bestseller and recipient of the Silver 2020 Nautilus Book Award in the category of Rising to the Moment. Today is important because just last week, Michael has released his second book, Alphabet Soup, The Essential Guide to the LGBTQ2 Inclusion at Work. In this, the book itself is dedicated to every nine-year-old lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, and two-spirit kids out there struggling to figure out who they are in the hopes that it will help make a world where you can be your fabulous self and not feel any shame. Michael's goal in writing this book is to work toward a world where homophobia, transphobia, and biphobia are things of the past, a common subject on this podcast. We wanna make a world where everyone can be themselves. Michael works towards this. In the book itself, he covers chapters such as breaking down the alphabet and the importance of safe space. And in it, he shows the importance of allyship in the workplace and engaging with employees to interactions with volunteers, students, and just everyday people on the street. And as I made mention, the book was released last week, specifically March 29th, 2022. Today on Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+, we talked to Michael Bach about his writing workplace inclusion, and how he has created space for so many people. Before I bring Michael to your screen and or your listening ears, Tales of the 2S LGBTQ Plus is a weekly audio and video podcast that showcases the remarkable people within our rainbow community. By listening to our stories, which are your stories, we gain insight, understanding, and connection. So let's continue to connect on a weekly basis as we learn what we need to learn. This episode has been recorded live, so do expect technical hiccups, voice snafus, and other unexpected hijinks as it more than likely has happened. 
If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other audio platforms, welcome. I hope you enjoy the content of this show. Please make sure you check out previous episodes. Give us a star rating. Word of mouth is great. And if you're here on YouTube, be sure to press subscribe. Every week, you'll get a notification that a new story is out. I'm based here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And it's important for me to say that, as I'd like to acknowledge that I am living within Treaty 6 territory and within the Métis homelands and Métis nation of Alberta Region 4, a traditional meeting grounds, gathering place, and traveling route to the Cree, Sado, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. Acknowledge all the First Nations, Métis and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for centuries. I am grateful for the traditional knowledge keepers who are with us today and the elders who came before. I continue to open myself up to listen, learn, and understand, and I hope you join me on this journey as well as we uncover and discover the truth. Today on Tales of the Two as LGBTQ+, is Michael Bach, and it's now time to bring him up to your screen and your listening ears. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you, Douglas. I'm so pleased to be here. It's it's a long time coming. And Michael, we have a lot of similarities with each other, not just because we're gay, white, cis males. My background does include diversity and inclusion, intercultural awareness. So that's how I discovered your books. And I just want to pick your brains as we go through because the work that you've been doing is fantastic. I'm not just blowing smoke up your butt. I'm telling you, the work you're doing is great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for saying that. You are welcome to blow smoke up my butt. I am more than happy. (laughs) I mean, frankly, you can just blow anything up my butt, but it is great to be here. First question. We're doing this podcast here at about 11 a.m. Mountain Time, 1 o'clock p.m. Time. What have you done today to be your fabulous self? Oh, honey, I get out of bed. You know, I'm a bit of a sparkle pony. I think my sexuality, my gender are things that really define me in a lot of ways and not in a bad way. You know, I'm not someone who's obsessed with my identity, but at the same time, you know, it's part of my everyday life because of the work I do. You know, I am very plugged into this conversation around inclusion for LGBTQ2 plus folks. So I get up, I go for my walk. I'm nooming right now, which we've magically turned into a verb because of course, during the pandemic, I was the opposite of nooming, which is just, I don't know, eating. So I get up, I go for my walk, my husband and I, we take our dogs, you know, but it's every, it's sort of every day, every part of my life. It's not something where there's a disconnect for me. And so for yourself, let's start with the gayness of it all before we go into your books. When did you realize that there was something up inside you when you realized Uh, I'm not going to be like everybody else. There's a difference between when I realized it and when others realized it. Others realized it when I came out of my mom singing the soundtrack to a chorus line. I was not a butch kid. I was not, like I was, 
you know, I think back to kindergarten when I played with the girls. All the boys were playing construction. I was playing house. It was crystal clear that I was not like the other boys. And then when I was nine, I went to a science camp. We all went to these bloody science camps. They were all closed down. And I told my counselor that I liked boys and instead of girls. And I didn't think anything of it. It didn't cross my mind that that was somehow bad for me to say. I'd always been called names and, you know, really unfortunate homophobic names, but I didn't put two and two together that that's what that meant. And that led to all sorts of fun stuff like therapy, where they tried to figure out if I manifested any signs of homosexuality, which they said I did not. They were wrong. Really, really wrong. But of course, this was also 1970-something. It was a very different time. But I knew, I knew as a young person that I just wasn't like the other boys. When you were growing up then, what did you dream of doing as far as a career? Because I would imagine the idea, the intercultural awareness, everything that would not have been in your imagination. So what was your dream job when you were a kid? Oh, it wasn't in anyone's imagination. I mean, the field of inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility is so uh, nascent in some ways. No, I was going to be an actor. I was going to be a Hollywood star. In fact, I was a child actor and spent a lot of time in front of cameras and uh, on stages up until I, I officially stopped working when I was 35. And it was actually the same time that I got into this area of work that those two things kind of uh, met in the middle and, and changed. But I was going to be a star and that didn't work out so well, but. Hey, you're a star in a different field. Your name is recognized everywhere when it comes to this. I'll have to say a little bit, I am jealous of you in some ways because you are a professional homosexual. You are, I am. You are you. You're authentic in every moment of that day. And when I asked you that question about yourself being fabulous and your fabulous self, that's part of your branding and marketing and who you are. I can see the chorus line, the kick, kick, turn, turns. and Absolutely. Jazz hands that I would imagine your mom was like, thank God he's out of there. Yeah. <laughs> For more reasons than one. Yes, yes absolutely. In so many different ways. Hey, now, I, in, besides the acting, in my research, I found out that you worked in IT for a while. And so how does someone who started in IT find themselves not only in the field of inclusion and diversity, but as someone who is leading the way? So the IT piece was just the gig I did to pay the bills. I was, as an actor, I was never a terribly good gypsy. I wasn't someone who's going to starve. So I was an actor that had like a really good job. IT was something that was sort of the secret language that I always understood as a child. And in fact, I went through a diploma program at a college in computer sciences when I was 12, because it just was something that I understood so well. At the same time, I had been raised with this belief that you should give back. And it's sort of a core fundamental belief of my family that you need to give back, you need to do something. And for me, what that translated to was working with 
different LGBTQ2 plus organizations, different aid service organizations, women's organizations, newcomer organizations, causes that I'm really passionate about. But it, that wasn't a job. That was what you did as a volunteer. And then you went over here and you made your money. I was actually in the IT consulting practice at KPMG when this opportunity presented itself to work in diversity. And I jumped at it. I said, absolutely, you're gonna pay me for this? I'm in. And it was work that really made sense to me in terms of how do you create spaces where people can come to work and do their jobs and be successful and not face discrimination and barriers to who they are. And I think actually the IT background actually helps me because I don't come at this work from an HR perspective. I'm not an HR practitioner. And I say that with all due respect to HR practitioners, that I, that's not my approach. It's not my field of expertise. So I look at it as what's good for business. How is this going to improve our top and bottom line? How's this going to improve our economy as a country? And at the same time, it is positively impact members from equity seeking groups who are in need of someone to speak up on their behalf. And I think that has led largely to my success. That, and I've never met a microphone I didn't like. <laughs> I say this with quotation marks that I would imagine that when you started this, that every business leader opened up the doors willingly and they jumped in with open arms and they did everything that you said that they should do. And everybody joined together and unity and singing Kumbaya. That had to be um, the case, right? I, I worry about your alcohol consumption, Douglas, if you think that's the case. Surprisingly not. Surprisingly, what? there were, were a whole lot of people who objected. And I am somebody who does not like to be told no. And so when I started CCDI, I saw a need. I saw a gap. And I was speaking as, at that time, a practitioner in inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility in IDEA that I said, we need this. As a practitioner, I need this. And so I set about to create something and there were a lot of people who were behind it, but there were other people who didn't think it was a good idea, largely because of their own self-interest. I can think about one individual who shall remain nameless, who vehemently oppose the creation of such a center, largely because they themselves run an organization focused on inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. And they saw it as competition. But this body is out of a university. It doesn't do anything in the same manner that CCDI was going to do or does. And it's all theory in their case. It's not actual practice. And while the theory is lovely, some of us work in the real world and that's really what we were craving as practitioners. So there were definitely some challenges, but if you tell me no, I'm just gonna wanna do it even more. Which is the attitude you have to take. I first started off in the field of education and going to the University of Alberta, day in, day out, they kept saying, the child is good, the child is wonderful. And my first year teaching in Swan Hills quickly realized that the child was not good. The child is scary. <laughs> and so I had all this theory, but not the real world right. 
practice on how to actually solve the issues. And that's where a lot of learning institutions go wrong because theory is great, but if you can't make it manageable for people, they're going to burn out, they're going to turn against all those ideas, and it's more of a negative. So within that field then, Michael, you were saying you've got that viewpoint of the IT. So what does make your programs work? Well, partly that they are practical, that we take into consideration. And, you know, when we're developing uh, training programs, when we're developing other services, uh, it, one of the key thoughts is always, how is this going to impact a business performance? So we don't say, yes, you need to send your people to full day training. First of all, adult learning principles will tell you that that's not a great way to learn. But secondly, that has a huge impact on organizations. So how can we reduce that burden? And I think the second piece of that puzzle is it's all based in data. It's based in fact. What's the research tell us? You know, we have a service called Diversity Meter, which is a proprietary tool we developed to offer data collection in the form of demographics and inclusion survey for employers. That's the data we need to understand who our people are and how they feel about their work in our organizations. We use that information to formulate other services because we have the data. It's not theoretical. It's not pie in the sky. It's not social justice based with no disrespect to social justice. It is based on what is going to be better for our economy. Because ultimately, if we think about it, the economy is where people succeed. And I, I hate, I mean, this is a totally capitalist thing to say, yeah. but money makes the world go round. And business leaders will pay attention to things if it's going to impact their top or bottom line. The environment, they're paying attention to it now because it's impacting their top and bottom line. They're not doing it because they're the nicest people in the world. They're, a focus on ESG, uh, the environment, uh, social, and governance is about the dollars. And while I would love everyone to join hands and uh, I'm not gonna say, I was gonna say sing Kumbaya, but that's really disparaging. I would love it if everyone came into life and approached life through the lens of how can I make the world a better place for everyone, as opposed to how can I make the world a better place for me? But that's not realistic. That's a utopia, and we don't live in that. So my approach has always been, <clears throat> how can I make the world a better place? But I have to leverage the tools and knowledge which I have, which is, how can I make your organization perform better? Which ultimately does make the world a better place. Would I be correct in saying that the first book, Birds of All Feathers, really is a how-to guide for employers looking at the entire spectrum? And then your new book, Alphabet Soup, is now focusing on the singular rainbow community? Yes, absolutely. I wrote Birds of All Feathers really to help small and medium-sized business. Not that it, it isn't good for bi large business, but when I thought about who my audience was, and I talked extensively with the publishers about this, it's the entrepreneur who has two employees 
or the small business that has 10 employees or 20 employees, you know, when you're a, a large bank or an accounting firm or a law firm and you've got an HR department of 100 people, you can afford to have a full-time resource in idea in inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. That's not the case in a lot of small business. So I wrote a, basically a how-to guide that if you just follow the steps I outline in the book, you'll be fine. You don't have to hire what is, I think, a very reasonably priced, handsome consultant, although feel free, but you can do it yourself without that support. It's really not that challenging. Alphabet yeah. Soup, on the other hand, <clears throat> it serves more, it, it serves a bit of a different purpose, I think. I've been very active in the queer space for over 30 years. And I have watched as changes have occurred for certain people, but not for all members of the community. And I have watched, to your point, as a white, cisgender presenting man, I've watched as my life got really good. No one, genuinely no one gives a crap if I'm gay. It is not anywhere near anyone's radar. But if I was a person of color, if I was trans, if I was trans woman of color, that's a very different experience. And when marriage equality was installed in Canada in 2005 and, and a few years ago down in the US, everyone kind of said, oh, okay, we're good. That's it, right? We're done. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, we're we don't have done. to work anymore. Right. And that's not the case. It's not the case for a lot of my LGBTQ2 plus cousins who don't look like me. And so I wrote Alphabet Soup to start to push the world a little on this front around sexuality and gender to explain it. I mean, I think as a community, we do a bit of a disservice in that we put together this initialism and pick your initialism, whether it's 2SLGBTQ+, or LGBTQ+, or LGBTQIA, or whatever, pick your initialism. We didn't explain to anybody that it's two different things. Mm -hmm. It's sexuality and gender. And in fact, some of the letters can be both. Oh, that just blows people's minds. I mean, some straight cisgender people are like, huh? What? No, you're one or the other. Nope, you can be both. You can be the T and the L. You can be the T and the Q. It's not a simple thing. And so I really tried to write something that was informational, easy to understand, that kind of broke it all down, and frankly created a space where people who do not live in this world could have permission to ask all their stupid questions. I sort of thought about all the stupid questions that people have asked me over the past 30 years and thought I'm going to write the answers in the book. So that way they don't have to ask them of anyone else. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go down that initialism way because it was one of the ones I was going to ask you about. During 2021, this podcast was Tales of the LGBTQ+. And it was always going to be but as my journey in learning more about Two-Spirit, myself, knowing that I have a platform now to elevate, I wanted to elevate the 2S voice, but where to place it? Mm -hmm. uh, because my worry was by putting it in the front, I was then going to be putting down the lesbian voice 
And I've always wanted to elevate because of so many uh, things that have historically been taking part in our community. For yourself, you've gone with LGBTQ2S+. I've gone with it at the beginning. What has been the feedback to you when it comes to initialism and the way that we present it? Yeah, so, you know, certainly there have been a, f a couple comments, not many, but a couple comments of people saying you should have put the 2S first. And uh, so I'm an old gay. And in my day, it was just the L and the G. Mm -hmm. And I go back long, long, long time ago, but I was involved with the lesbian and gay youth of Toronto before sort of mm -hmm. the acknowledgement and inclusion of bisexual and trans people and queer people and two-spirit. The reason why I went with the initialism LGBTQ2+, is because the Canadian government goes with LGBTQ2. And had great debates about you know, and, and of course, understand I'm just debating myself, but great debates about which initialism to choose. It was very important to me to make sure that we included the acknowledgement of Two-Spirit, even though that isn't something that we hear in the U.S., and that is my main market, is the U.S. It was important for me to use that as an opportunity to educate my American readers to say, your Native American people they have an identity unique unto themselves, and here it is. I didn't include the I for intersex, largely because I couldn't sort of figure it in. And it, it, this is a bit of a slippery slope, I feel, is what I'm trying to say. It is. It is. And right. I don't want to put you on the spot because when no, I no. started this, I could see exactly with your eyes and everything, exactly what I've gone through with trying to figure out because we want to include all, but if you include all, it is long now. And, Very long. Very long. And where do you stop? Because if you stop with I for intersex, well, asexual and yep. so much more. And so we're in this weird time, <laughs> a great time where we're figuring out our community. But I don't think some of the words that we are going to eventually be used exist yet. And that perfect term and that perfect acronym is not there yet. No, it's not there. And I think as a community, we need to be open to different initialisms to make sure that we are being inclusive, understanding that for there are some members of the community for that cue is quite threatening for them. Right? I am exactly. One. I have had difficulties with the Q part. I'm getting better with it, but it, it it was so hard. And still, I cringe with that word at times because yeah. it was used against us for so long and it was yeah. such a negative. And I love the fact that people are reclaiming that word. I'm still struggling with that. Sure. Absolutely. It, it took me a long time to get used to it. As someone who was called a queer and not in a fun way, for a lot of years. I know some women who identify as gay because they're not comfortable with the term lesbian. You know, if you ask a thousand people, you're going to get a thousand different versions of that initialism. I think we need to be more open to difference in that initialism 
to understanding that there's lots of different versions that if you want to say LGBTQQIAOP+, try rattling that off. And by the way, it appears about 500 times in my book. So my book would be significantly longer if it had that initialism. I would love a word that is reflective of all identities as it relates to sexuality and gender, but not one word exists. And, and it is ever evolving. And arguably the same as other communities. We talk about people of color, like they're all one group. Yes. But it's our language is constantly evolving. And I don't get frustrated by it. I hope people understand that the intention is that I'm talking about all identities, that I acknowledge that there are many, many identities beyond my own, and there are new identities coming up every day. And I embrace that. We just have to have something to describe it. And the other piece of this puzzle is we are doing ourselves no favors by creating this long initialism because straight cis people are like, what the heck are you people doing? The initialism in itself, and this is where the term comes from, is alphabet soup. It is very long. And if we were to include every single identity, it would be longer than the alphabet. When you consider that Facebook alone has somewhere in the range of 60 gender identities that you can choose from. Six, zero. Six. Here's a follow-up to that. And mm. as people with my podcast know that I helped in the creation of an organization here in Edmonton over the past year. And we had the conversation with the acronym, with how we were going to put it. And people within our Facebook group, in the outer social media community, see the A within that acronym as being ally. And yeah. we're constantly saying asexual. So my question to you is, can A stand for ally within this initialism, within this acronym of a community? Absolutely. But it can also stay for, stand for asexual or aromantic or agendered. This is the other problem that the letters can stand for different things. The Q can be for queer or questioning. The T can be for trans, transgender, transsexual. And people assign their own knowledge to those letters and sort of figure out what they mean on their own, even though the intention may be quite different. I do think it's important to include allies in the conversation. And, you know, let's face it, we would not be where we are today if it weren't for our straight cisgender allies. And that's just fact. I'm not abdicating, but if LGBTQ2 plus folks were the only people fighting for our rights, we would not be where we are today. Whether or not we include them in the initialism, I made the active choice not to, because this is a book for allies. It is not a book about allies. Mm -hmm. And there is a, a section on allies. I do talk about the importance of allies and how to be an ally. The difference between being an armchair ally versus an active ally. But it is, it is more a book for allies than about. So with the new book that has just been released, Alphabet Soup, The Essential Guide to LGBTQ2 Plus Inclusion at Work, you focus on the rainbow community at the workplace, as you were saying, and you've touched upon my next question a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
how can someone who is cis heterosexual look through an LGBTQ2S plus lens and determine if there's anything that needs to be done to ensure that the rainbow community can bring their whole self to the workplace and be successful? How can that be done? Well, I think first and foremost is education. As individuals, it's your responsibility to educate yourself on the realities of LGBTQ2 plus folks lived experience. It's not my job. I mean, it's technically my job, but it's not a, a queer person's job to educate you, it, your coworkers, your friends, your family, you do the work. And then you have to accept and believe that things happen, that as LGBTQ2+, we still face significant discrimination, that there is still significant violence. Just to put it in perspective, some 300 trans women of color were killed in the United States last year, murdered because of their gender identity. So you have to accept that that happens. You, you really can't say, oh, you're maybe you're being too sensitive. Just, no, that's not your place. Don't do that. But then take a step back, look at your organization, see where there are opportunities to improve things. You know, and it can be things like, do your policies, does the language use gendered terms? Like he slash she. Not all of us recognize or identify with he or she. Do you use language like maternity leave instead of parental leave? Do your policies include mention of same-sex couples? Do your benefits plans include support for transition for people who are trans and gender non-conforming? You have to apply a lens to the entire organization and figure out where there may be an issue that is impacting your LGBTQ2 plus folks. In an ideal world, you have an employee resource group, you have a group of employees, a group of, of students, a group of patients that are speaking on behalf of the community. They're a bit of a, a pardon the expression, but like a market research group that can provide that feedback. But sometimes you don't have access to that because people don't feel comfortable being out in your workplace. And you have to stand up. And, you know, I always talk about the importance of symbolism and the, the waving the rainbow flag. The reason why that symbol is so important for members of our community is it's a symbol of safety. When I see the rainbow flag, I know that I'm safe. I know that that's an environment where I can be myself and it's not guaranteed, but likely without fear of violence because of my sexuality or my gender. And we're, for a lot of us in the community, we're invisible minorities. You can't necessarily tell to look at me that I'm gay, that I'm gender nonconforming. I don't present that, but many of us are invisible. So we need to see that symbol to say, I can be myself here. I can talk about my husband. I can go in with my painted nails and it's going to be a, a space where I'm safe. Yeah. 
listeners to this podcast have heard me many times go on about the organization that was created this past year called Pride Corner on White, where every Friday we are out on the major intersection in Edmonton with rainbow flags, with our music. We're protesting the street preachers, but we're also opening space for the unhoused kids who are in the area. And we started this because there were eight LGBTQ plus identifying kids who had committed suicide in the 10 months previous. Uh And in Edmonton, 40 to 45% of unhoused kids are part of the community, our rainbow community, which is disproportionate to our place within the realm of the world, creating space. And so these kids have noticed the rainbow flags. They've come over and time after time they say, we're able to be in this space. I can look somebody in the eye and I don't have to explain anything. Mm-hmm. I don't have to hold anything back. I can breathe. And so when we see that rainbow flag at, in a store, the workplace, somehow just being able to breathe is so important. Yeah. It keeps us going. And I'll yeah. say this to everybody here who's listening. I've read Birds of All Feathers, and I highly recommend to everybody, but especially business owners who are wanting to make change or wanting to make a difference. That's extremely important. I can't wait to read Alphabet Soup because there's so much more that's going on, and your writing is right to the point, and I enjoy it. What has been the feedback from your writing and the books from the readership. What have you heard? If you've never written a book, it is a terrifying experience because you essentially birth something and send it out to the world and hope for the best. The feedback that I've gotten is is generally very positive. I write in a humorous style or what I like to call a humorous style. My husband doesn't seem to think so, but I'm not sure he has a sense of humor. And people enjoy that the levity in it. People enjoy that it's really straightforward. It's to the point. It's got a lot of reference material in it to back up any of the arguments or claims. I've been told that once you get to know me, once you know who I am as a person, you can hear my voice in the book. So it's sort of like I'm, I'm, you know, curled up behind your couch reading it to you, which isn't creepy at all. And I take that as an honor. You know, a woman I know who's in the U.S an old friend of mine. And she said, when I read your book, all I could hear was you. And I thought, oh, fantastic. That's exactly what I wanted was I wanted my voice to come out through the text and uh, the feedback has been good. It's, you know, the, the practicality of it, I think really speaks to people and uh, it's not highfalutin. It's not fancy. Uh, it's not academic. And I understand I have the utmost respect for academics. I, I'm, you know, so know some brilliant academics, but it really does speak to the practical reality of how do I do this? In fact, I was thinking a couple of weeks ago, I did a webinar type event, uh, uh, online event for Canadian Western Bank, which of course is based out of Edmonton. And they are working to promote, or they were, I guess, as part of Valentine's Day, promote small businesses, creating inclusive space for LGBTQ2 plus people and the types of small things you can do. The little, the little, I call it the incremental revolution. It's the little things that have a really big impact. And putting a sticker in your business window is a really big one. Because it says to me that I can come in there and I can hold my husband's hand and it's not going to be a big deal. 
And if there is a homophobic or transphobic issue that it's going to be dealt with properly, you know, it's the simple things that really matter. And that's where I focused with the books is really just, here's the simplest of things that you can do. And it, it really has a significant impact. I know that I have teacher friends or people who are going to be listening to this podcast perhaps for the first time, and I'll throw it out there. If you're a teacher talking to the kid in your classroom, hey, what does your mom or your dad do? Change it to what does your parent do? Just that little bit there, because I know from talking to kids who do have same-sex parents, when they hear parent, it's including them so much more and mm -hmm. so it's just changing wordage whenever possible is extremely important it's the simplest of things now doing some research about you as well i found out that at a relatively early age that yes. uh, you did become a buddhist and the last couple of years have been harsh in many different ways so how has been being a buddhist help you with your very active work life and simply to deal with the stress of the world that we live in today? Oh, my faith has been critical to that. I was raised Presbyterian. My mother is actually a Presbyterian minister. And long story, but I moved away from the church when I was a teenager and it was in my early 20s that I found Buddhism. And I'm a what's called a Nichiren Buddhist. And everyone remembers that Tina Turner is a Buddhist, same sect of Buddhism. And for me, it was about, frankly, getting off drugs. I'm a recovered addict, and I've been clean for, gosh, 25-something years. And for me, you know, Buddhism was a big part of that. And over the past couple of years, my faith has played a big role in helping me keep my feet on the ground and deal with the incredible trauma that has come over the past couple of years. We were talking just recently about the, the lifting of mask mandates. And I found my anxiety level going up at the thought of going anywhere without a mask. If it weren't for my faith, I don't know how I would have gotten through the past couple of years. It's just a real grounding for me. So what do you say then to people who would scoff at this type of religious teaching or this background? What do you say to people who would look at this with a disapproving eye, so to speak? Well, it depends on how much wine I've had. I might say, mind your own damn business. But, you know, I think that faith is an important aspect in people's lives, some people's lives. First of all, I always teach a message of respect. You don't have to like it. I don't care if you like my faith. It's really irrelevant in my world. What matters is that you respect that it's my faith. Just as I respect people who are Christian, who are Muslim, who are agnostic or atheists, I respect it. I personally do not believe in a quote-unquote God. And Nichiren Buddhism is not about that sort of the deity type approach. It's very much grounded in basically be a good human being, be good to your planet type thing. But just because my mother believes in God doesn't mean I'm going to disrespect her. And particularly as queer people, that where we have seen 
such abuse from different religious organizations towards our communities. I think that my faith is very respectful, always has been. I mean, I remember the first time I went into the Sogogokai in New York City, where I lived in 1995. And as a queer person, I felt welcome then. Hmm. And that really matters to me. Not only am I not going to, I'm frankly not able to hide who I am. Like I open my mouth and and sparkles fly forth. Taffeta, taffeta everywhere. Streams of taffeta. And I have no apology for that. I don't care. This is who I am. If, if people have issue, that's their issue. But my faith is also part of my self-care. And if I've learned anything over the past two years, it's how to order wine online, obviously, but also that self-care, honey, is so important. I learned how to do my own nails because she needs her nails done. And also a lot around my mental health, I live with depression and have for a very long time. So for me, it's also been about how do I, I maintain my mental health? And that's my faith is a part of that. And faith is not a bad thing. People are bad things. That's the reality. The, the original Bible, may it rest in peace, never said anything about homosexuality. No, 1946. Exactly. So the reality is not that the problem lies with the faith. The problem lies with the people. And yeah. in, in my case, I'm surrounded by wonderful people. So it's, it's a big part of who I am. I've got to say something here, and this is going to be an inside thing. Don't worry about not understanding. But uh, a good friend of mine, Sue Oguchi, always listens to the episode. And yes, Sue, there's a lot of similarities. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> so Sue's going to be like, I'm just listening to Doug here. And I'm like, yes, but it's a different form. Hey, the way that you communicate, the way that you speak, it's infectious and it's great. And uh, you're definitely in the field that you need to be in. People can also get a hold of you or hear more about you on YouTube through your Monday morning musings. Mm -hmm. Tell us yes, more I about do. Monday morning musings. I do a weekly sort of what's going on in Michael's head on Monday mornings, sometimes on Tuesdays when I forget, which does happen. And I've been doing it about five years now. And it's a lot of commentary on different issues that come up on things like George Floyd or the discovery of bodies at the Wet'suwet'en First Nation or things that are going on in government and both sides of the border. I comment not just exclusively on Canada, on things around the world. And it's just a little... I like to think of it as giving a different perspective. Mm -hmm. First of all, as around raising awareness about particular issues that I think people need to know about. But, you know, I'll give you an example. When George Floyd was killed, there was a lot of questions about why him? Why did his death cause such an outcry when, frankly, the number of African-Americans killed by police is ridiculous? It's astonishing. And they continue today. Yeah. Let's be very clear. George Floyd was not the last. No. But my comment was, it's on tape. It was videotaped. It was released to the world. You can't unsee that. 
And that is why we are where we are as it relates to race and racism in our countries. So it's just a little commentary, just giving a little perspective, getting people to think about things hopefully a little differently. And with the George Floyd case, I don't remember her name offhand, but major credit to the young African-American woman who videotaped everything and made sure that word got out. If she hadn't, we would not have had no. any mention of George Floyd. Nothing would have been done. And what astonishes me is that only a couple of weeks ago in the same community, more mm -hmm. or less, another police killing has taken place. It's needless. That's another discussion. I really don't have enough wine for that one. Uh, it's a tragic situation. It keeps coming up and we have to be focused on this. There's so much work to be done. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of our time together, Michael. And as I mentioned, I could talk to you forever because there's so many different topics that you bring a great perspective to. We've talked about Birds of All Feathers, your very first book. We're also talking about Alphabet Soup, the essential guide to LGBTQ plus inclusion at work. Is there going to be a book tour? Are people going to be able to see you in person to learn more about everything? Well, that's a very good question. And it's a big fat question mark right now. I did a couple uh, virtual events on the 29th when the book came out, subsequently done a couple virtual events. There are some live events that I'm doing over the course of the summer for specific clients, but I'm trying to also tie them to events, particularly supporting local bookstores like Glad Day in Toronto or Two Sisters in Vancouver. And uh, so I'm trying, but of course this pesky pandemic keeps getting in my way. So everything is TBD right now uh, as we head towards the warmer months when Pride Festivals start to happen. But I'm really hoping to get out and see people and, and talk about this because it, it, it's I thrive on human connection. And I think my husband is tired of me talking to him about this. So I, I need other victims at this point. One final question for you. And again, a big question here. Mm -hmm. What I really liked about what you have put down with your writing beforehand is idea, I-D-E-A. And in previous work that I've done, it's always been about inclusion and diversity. Mm. There's a lot of buying in for that now. People, business owners, they understand that with the lens that we bring. What you've expanded upon is equity, accessibility. Why is equity important and how does that fit in with inclusion and diversity? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, if you think there's a lot of debate about which initialism to use in the queer community, there's a lot of debate about which initialism or acronym to use in the broader space. Why is equity important? The problem with just talking about diversity and inclusion is it doesn't recognize the need of the individual. When we think about equity, equity is about acknowledging that each individual has different needs and that we're not all the same. And sort of the difference between equality and equity, equality is about treating everyone the same. Equity is about treating people how they need to be treated. And 
the assumption in diversity and inclusion is that we all start from the same place. Whereas when you bring in an equity lens, we start to understand that we don't all start from the same place. Bringing in accessibility was critically important because I think people with disabilities or diverse abilities, as I call them, tend to get left out of this conversation quite frequently and tend to be an afterthought. And I wanted to make sure that people recognized that we are talking about, we have to talk about accessibility as much as anything, because without access, and that's not just access for people with disabilities or diverse abilities, it's access for everyone. There are still places in our countries, in the United States and Canada, where people of color can't go, where women can't go. So access expands beyond people with diverse abilities to include access to all spaces. And you can't have one without the other. You can't just talk about inclusion because if you just talk about inclusion, we kind of forget what we're trying to include. If you just talk about diversity, well, you can't have diversity if you're not focused on making sure that your space is one that is embracing of that diversity, meaning inclusive. And I feel the same way about uh, equity and accessibility. The other letters that you hear in this are justice, J. Sometimes you hear Jedi, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And I heard today a new one, Redi, R-E-A-D-I, reconciliation, equity, diversity, accessibility, and inclusion. Again, I think this is a bit of a slippery slope. We need to be careful about having too many letters in this initialism. I also love that idea is a word and it gets you thinking like there's so much you can do with the word idea when it comes to inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. Not that I'm not a supporter of justice or reconciliation. I mean, there's a whole conversation unto itself, but I think without the equity and the accessibility, we're missing part of the conversation. I always ask this as the last question, and the age of 15 was important for me in many different ways, for myself as my queer self, as I'm now using the word more. In life, my growing, my maturation, if you had the opportunity to sit down on a bench beside your 15-year-old self, oh. what would you say to them? I would start by explaining that you cannot pull off the Farrah Fawcett hair. It's not working. You look foolish. And yes, I really had the part in the center, which is not natural with the feathering. Oh, she was living her best life. Ah, this is a tough one because 15 was a really, really hard for me. My teen years were, were filled with trauma. I would hold my hand and I would... I would say you are loved and there's nothing wrong with you. And that's all I wanted to hear when I was a teenager, that I there was nothing wrong with me. And I didn't hear it. I heard that there was a lot wrong with me. So that's really what I would like to hear. Yeah, and now you're here today making sure that People who follow behind you are getting the help that they need. Michael Bach has been my guest here today on Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+. So everyone, do go to your independent bookstores. Yes, you can order online, but do try to partake in purchasing from the independent bookstores who need our help. 
the first book, Birds of All Feathers, Doing Diversity and Inclusion Right, a fantastic how-to guide for employers, a how-to guide for yourself, but as well is the brand new book, Alphabet Soup, The Essential Guide to LGBTQ Plus Inclusion at Work. Go out and get it. Soothe your soul, which is always important. Michael, thank you for being here today. It's very much appreciated. Douglas, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, do make sure that you tell us what you think. If it's your first time here, press subscribe. Do check out other stories. Send links to people. Word of mouth is fantastic. Until next time, everybody, you've been listening to Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+. I'm here to remind you to be good and always text when you get home. Until next time, everybody.